Hi, this is Dove Tusman. You're on Equal Footing. I am joined this evening by two special guests to talk about God and sex. This is a beginning of a three-part series, and we're going to be tackling a subject that gets discussed from different angles, but often not from the perspective of real reconciliation. So we're calling this God and Sex, a Reconciliation Story. We'll come back to what that means. I'm joined by Dr. Batsheva Marcus, and uh, welcome, Dr. Marcus. Thanks. I'm very excited to be here. Dr. Marcus, we're excited to have you. You, you, You've been described as the orthodox sex guru by the New York Times Mm -hmm. magazine. Uh, You're a feminist, orthodox Jewish sex therapist based in New York City. Dr. Marcus is the co-founder and director of Mays Women's Sexual Health, which is the largest independent women's sexual health center in the country. Uh, Dr. Marcus is a licensed clinical social worker with a plethora of academic degrees, master's in public health, master's degree in social work, master's degree in Jewish studies, and a PhD in human sexuality. Uh, you're also the co-host of a podcast, which I endorse and encourage our listeners to to find. You can find it on iTunes or any of the major platforms, The Joy of Text, which Dr. Marcus co-hosts with Rabbi Dove Linzer. And your book, Sex Points, Reclaiming Your Sexual Life with the Revolutionary Point System, sounds fascinating, will be released this coming March. So thanks for being on the show. Yeah. I'm excited to be here and um, happy to talk about my book late March another time, but it is cool. Yeah, it sounds like good material also to, for a future episode. We're, we're also joined by a friend. I'm, glad, I'm really glad that you uh, agreed to be on with us this, this evening and talk about your lived experience, Ellie Binhyun. And Ellie is a writer, a creative director, and an advocate on what he calls a sex-positive lifestyle. And he received rabbinical training in seminary environments in the Chabad movement in Orthodox Judaism the, in the U.S., France, Argentina, and Singapore. And Ellie officially became a rabbi on his final stop in Asia. Uh, Ellie was married when he was 23. He started a Chabad house in the Lincoln Park area in Chicago and eventually at DePaul University. And after his divorce and departure from rabbinical ministry, Ellie joined Charity, which is a crowdfunding crowdfunding company for not-profit, not-for-profits, and was a development director at Lamplater's Yeshiva, an innovative Montessori Jewish school in Brooklyn, with which I'm very familiar. Ellie has written for Hevria, which is an online Jewish publication, and has appeared on multiple episodes of the popular podcast Sex in the Pews, uh, which is uh, quite an interesting uh, series that, that I've heard some, some of the episodes from. So, Ellie, welcome Thank you, Dove. This is really exciting. Thanks for having me on. We're going to start by talking a little bit about the background that you each bring to to this issue. And what we try to do on Equal Footing is bring to the table different perspectives that are both academic or professional in their expertise and also through the expertise that's come through through our lived experience, the, the struggles that we go through. Let's start with you, Dr. Marcus. I've um, 
I've been privy to, you know, reading about you for, for years, listening to some of the, uh, the other podcasts and, and media outlets you've been through. And I, and the one sentence that stuck with me around your background is I think it was on a on a podcast uh, called Preach with uh, with Lee Hale, if I'm not mistaken, who's a, a Mormon or comes from that that background. And when you were talking about this uh, issue of the reconciliation or the discussion about God and sex in a religious context, I remember you saying it was more difficult for you to talk about your childhood or your background than it was for you to talk about sex. So I guess I'm going to ask you to start with what's more difficult. Tell us a little bit about your journey. That's so funny. First of all, you should feel free to call me Batsheva. My patients call me Batsheva, so you should call me Batsheva. And anybody who calls in should feel free to do that as well. Um, so, um, yes, it's, I think I maybe said it was harder to talk about religion than, um, than it is to talk about sex, and that is for sure true. My relationship with God feels much more fraught to me in a way than um, I'm very, very comfortable talking about sex. I grew up in a really kind of interesting, um, but very difficult home, modern Orthodox, um, with a father who was very, like, determinedly in the Rav Soloveitchik, Yeshiva University, had smicha, you know, had rabbinical ordination from Yeshiva University, and was all about Torah and science, and was a scientist, um, and really very, very adamant that his girls should have a solid education at a time when girls were not studying Talmud. And so, in perhaps not the most... <clears throat> easy, loving way, kind of a harsh way, but on the other hand, effective, he really sort of pushed both me and my sister, we had two brothers, but they were already learning in school, to study primary texts. And um, I feel like to a certain degree that set me up to ask hard questions and deal with difficult issues. And um, over time, I, when I became a sex therapist, which was a little bit of a second career move about 20, 25 years ago, um, I had already had social work training, so it was just a little bit of a pivot there. But um, I decided to do sexual health. I was really fascinated by it. And look at the merger between the physiological, the physical, and the, and the psychological in a world that tends to split those things. So I think my, sort of, my struggles with religion sort of set me up to be able to do those kind of, you know, to look at the sex world in a slightly different way as well. And... Um, and really kind of set me on this journey. And, you know, my sex world, the world that I do professionally for sex is not just for the religious community. It's for the broad world and, and of everybody, different religions, different faiths. Um, but I do often get in this, like, interesting Venn diagram crossover between my Orthodox identity and the sex world. So I'm often sort of placed there, thus the Orthodox sex guru. Um, so I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I think that, it, it, since we're talking about Ellie, of course, you also grew up in an, in an Orthodox Jewish environment. We can it's attempting on this show to think that what we're really talking about is a shared Jewish experience around the reconciliation of of sex and and religious observance. But as we were discussing in one of our pregame discussions, Batsheva, these issues are you know, common to anybody is coming from kind of a traditional background, whether issues around uh, their their rules and, and, and guilt and shame and other things that, that are wrestled with in sexual maturation. 
Yeah, I, I, I want to point that out because it's so funny. Earlier today, I was doing a live on Instagram with the app called Rosie, which does women's sexual health. It's an app to help women with their sexual issues. And um, I had just, I finished doing a course for them on Orthodox, you know, Jewish, for Orthodox Jewish women and was so struck by how similar the same issues came up with the, um, with the sort of evangelical Christian communities, mm-hmm. with the, um, with the Islamic communities, like the same issues come up again and again. So I feel like the, 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 the issues and the questions and the problems that come up, and as well as the strengths, by the way, um, tend to really um, echo in many, many religious faiths, and very similarly. Ellie, it's, to, to, to Batsheva's last point, it sometimes feels to me that as religious people, and I'm, I, I'm somewhere on that spectrum of, of religious observances as well, that there's an, an obsession around sex, around, um, and, and, and sometimes that, that comes from you know, textual you know, teachings and inferences, and sometimes it's maybe, I think, around what we're, what we're not supposed to talk about sometimes is what we obsess most about. Tell us a little bit about your, your journey, not only your, relig- your journey of religious observance, but your journey around, around your identity, your core identity as it relates to your expression of sexuality. Yeah, I love how you just phrased that, that it's so much related to what's not talked about. Um, I think that's something that kids pick up on very early on, that, like, there is something not being said, um, especially, you know, the Torah is explicit with many sexual references, um, and there's always this very ambiguous, like, you know, zipping through it and not really addressing it, um, and that is like a major alarm bell for any child. Like, okay, what is it that I'm not supposed to know? Right. Um, and then I think that carries through through you know young adulthood, and then um, and and even when there is a conversation around uh, you know intimacy or sexuality or um, you know relationships, um, there is still so much that is not said. And I think that is the most obvious thing in the conversation is what isn't being said. And what excites me about a show like this and about someone like uh, Batsheva, uh, Dr. Marcus, is to actually get into it and to actually talk about sex and not to um, leave it, you know, under the covers. Yeah, and this first episode in this series is really about that, to taking... You know, sweeping away the covers and, and, and getting into some of the, the issues that, that are markers for us in, in our lives that are related to our sexual expression and our sexuality in a spiritual and a religious life that often uh, we don't know who to talk to about. Get in on the conversation here with Dr. Bacheva Marcus and Eli Ben-Hyun, who's a trained rabbi. So Rabbi, rabbi Eli Ben-Hyun, even though you're, that's not your core um, professional activity these these days you can get in the conversation by dialing 718-303-9090 that's 718-303-9090 we recognize that this is a sensitive subject and if you are shy about being on the air you can always first of all when you call in be anonymous you don't have to say your name but you can also text a question if you'd like and anonymously is fine and you can text to 917-428-4062 that's 917-428-4062 
Ellie, you have been at you. You not only left uh, a Orthodox Jewish ministry as a Chabad shliach, an emissary, a rabbi that had your you had a, a congregation and a successful Chabad house. So you were you know growing and and you you your family of other family members who are, are also uh, rabbis. You you've gone, I guess, from a layman's perspective to a, another extreme. You, you you I remember reading. It's not topic specifically around around sexuality, but I read a, a very moving piece that you wrote in Hevria uh, maybe a year or two ago about taking off your yarmulke. I I listened to a podcast when you were talking about the experience of cutting your beard for the first time and how it felt to express that to your to your parents, and now you've taken steps further, and I applaud you for it. In um, being on uh, podcasts like Sex in the Pews, which we'll, we'll get to in, in, in a minute, how how has that felt for you? Is this is this been something you planned out? Has it been kind of a slippery slope? Do you feel like you are trying to speak for kind of a a, a silent uh, majority out there of people that are that are that are struggling with the with religious and, and sexual identity? Um, I I don't know if it's quite a silent majority, but the, I do feel very strongly that um, people are kind of watching my journey and um, do do feel a sense of like how to, how to how to have that kind of agency in their own life. Um, but I could really only speak for myself and and say that um, I began this journey by uh, you know with a strong focus on on my own mental health. And um, really addressing, uh, you know, what what is, um, you know, what am I looking for in life, and um, you know, what are the things in my life that I feel are out of my control, mm-hmm. um, and addressing those things. And I, I did feel that um, I was living a life based on, um, you know, an objective morality that didn't feel uh, like my own truth. Um, and when I started to address that, I had no idea where it would lead me. And I think um, any journey of self-exploration um, begins from a place of, uh, with a huge question mark. Um, and it did lead me very quickly to embracing uh, sex-positive uh, lifestyle, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, and uh, I realized that it, it did come together with a, a much more balanced and, and healthy lifestyle, and it wasn't something that was reckless and you know, what, might, what, one, what one might imagine uh, that to be. So um, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, I found my heart going out to you, Ellie, as I was researching for this show, because I could, in a couple of the forums that you've been on, I could feel that there was like a a gratuitousness to it. There was like a uh, desire for there to be shock value. Oh, here's the rabbi who's talking about being sex positive and talking about fluidity in, in sexuality. And, and, and I think that doesn't really do justice to, to the issue. And Dr. Marcus or Bacheva, sorry, you've, you've talked about this at times, this kind of um, difference between uh, intimacy Talking about it is intimacy and sexuality, the difference between uh, religious law or halacha and in, in the Jewish context uh, and, and healthy sexuality. How do we get out of this space of this being like a gratuitous topic? How do we get out of the, 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 that, that, that space so we can actually get deeper into living a healthy and, and balanced sexual life? 
Well, the question really is, is is it really Jewish law or halacha or our Jewish identities that is getting in the way, or is it just our general discomfort with sex and we use religion almost as a smokescreen for that? Like, people are uncomfortable talking about sex. In general, that's true, and in this community even more so because it's a still continuing cycle. And um, I think it's very easy to kind of hook that onto, you know, I'm trying to be modest, I'm trying to be tenua, I'm trying to be thoughtful and modest about how I, so I'm not going to talk to my kids about sex, for example. Mm-hmm. When it's very clear that, you know, talking to your kids about sex from a very early age is really critical. And um, being, you know, honest and thoughtful about um, the fact that people don't, they're not, you know, they're not, you know, units that can be avoidant of sex for don't think about your body, don't touch your body, don't learn your body. But when you get married, you know, rip off that, you know, rip off that scarf or yarmulke or whatever you're wearing, and now you should be able to let go and be in, you know, be comfortable and happy in your sex life in bed. Like, people don't work that way. And so the changes kind of need to be systemic, and I think they need to come from, honestly, I feel like shame lives in the dark spaces. Shame and guilt live in dark spaces, and when you light up those spaces and when you talk about things, it just changes the world. You know, I always joke around about like the monster. When you turn the monster in the corner, when you turn on the light, it's just a coat rack. Hmm. So um, there, therein, I think, lies some of the answers to the mystery. Like, we need to have conversations and we need to be talking about things. And yet, trauma is real. I mean, the, 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 we do have monsters in our past. We don't, we, we, we were talking in one of our pregame discussions about not being a slave to our past. And I, I, I recall making a mental note. There was a little bit of daylight between you, Bacheva and Ellie on, on this issue. And, and Ellie, you, you very, you know, forced to say with, you know, this, you know, trauma is, is real. Do you, do you feel like your journey, Ellie, has been informed by some, you know, specific or or generalized communal trauma that that you went through and have had to heal from in your sexual life. Um, I mean, I'm I'm grateful that in my own life, I it's not uh, something that I've had to deal with. Um, but I, there are people very close to me who um, suffered from trauma, and it um, expressed itself in very unhealthy sexual behaviors, even leading to addiction. Um, and, um, I just noticed that this is, you know, sex is, um, an area where we are most vulnerable, perhaps, um, and therefore put up the most resistance. Um, so, you know, whatever traumas we do hold within us are gonna, you know, can rise up in those moments. Um, but even in my case where I was fortunate not to experience specific traumas, I know that other challenges that I have that I struggle with do come up in sex that aren't necessarily related to sex. And the more that I address those things, uh, the better I am in, uh, you know, with my partner. Um, You know, something that I'll, you know, just be very vulnerable about this on the show, Uh, you know, something that I am working on is to be uh, more assertive in my life um, and not to be as passive. And um, I found that with certain partners, uh, not being assertive and not really taking a step was, you know, not what they wanted. And I needed to learn. That's something I needed to learn how to uh, kind of be better at. So, um, you know, that's just a, a very small example where mental health uh, does impact uh, what happens uh, with our partners. 
We're going to take a quick break, and and we'll be back in a moment. I want to get back to this issue of trauma and guilt and shame, which tends to frame so much discussion about the reconciliation between spiritual or religious life and and sexual life, and I think unfortunately blocks us sometimes from really tackling some of the issues practically. You'll be back in a moment on equal footing with our guests, Dr. Batsheva Marcus and Ellie Binhiyun. Tonight's program of Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is brought to you by Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital offers financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere in the world. Unlock the, ca- unlock the cash value of your watch collection or inventory with Mechanical Art Capital's guaranteed buyback contracts. For more information, please call 833-532-7040. That's 833-532-7040. Operators are standing by. Funds are wired out quickly and discreetly in two business days or less, and your timepieces are stored in a secure location in Manhattan, New York, and you can have your watches back as soon as you're ready. Safe and simple. Contact Mechanical Art Capital at 833-532-7040. You're back on equal footing with our guests, guests Dr. Batsheva Marcus and Ellie Binhyun. We're talking about God and Sex, a story of reconciliation. And we're starting by pulling away the covers and hitting some of the topics that we don't often talk about. Dr. Bacheva, <laughs> Bacheva, I'm mixing, mixing uh, both, both names up, Dr. Marcus Bacheva. Guilt and shame, trauma, these are absolutely parts of, of, of almost everybody's experience at some point in their sexual maturation, and perhaps more so for someone that grows up in a religious upbringing. How do we get through that discussion and be able to... Uh, really address particular issues in our in our sexual life and not be tr- kind of a slave to our past. So I really need to separate between guilt and shame and trauma. And I I have to say two things. So you're hitting on things that I feel very strongly about. So um, the first thing I want to say to anybody who's listening who has trauma, um, trauma is a terrible thing, and you need professional help to help work through it. But you can work through it. And you are not doomed. I feel like we, we've bought into this narrative that if you've had trauma in your past, you cannot go on to have a good, healthy sexual experience. And I want to tell you that that is not true and that with professional help you can and that the professional help should help you process the trauma and help you move forward. And sitting in that backward space of, you know, the never-ending trauma is not healthy. And I feel like very often people kind of get stuck in this narrative that they cannot get better. And I want to tell you and everybody that that is just not true. Now, of course, there are going to be certain cases, but in most cases. And so I, I, I feel very strongly about that. And I, and I, um, but I can hear that in my voice as I'm talking. Um, and, but in terms of shame and guilt, which all of us have, I feel like you show me somebody who wasn't, didn't grow up with shame and guilt of some sort. And the religious community does have more than a share of it. And as I started to say before, I feel like that is so much a product of not talking about things. And so for any parents who are listening to this show right now, I'm just saying to you, you can break the cycle. You can break the cycle by learning how to talk to your kids about sex in a positive way. And 
And if you're sitting there thinking, well, I can't because I had so much shame and guilt myself and I have a terrible sex life and I haven't worked this out, I'm going to say to you, it doesn't matter. You owe it to yourself and to your child to start breaking the cycle now by talking about these things. And, you know, I've done podcasts on how to talk to your kids about sex. There's a lot of information out there. Um, it's doable, and we, this generation, can start breaking that cycle, I really believe. And you can actually follow uh, Dr. Marcus Batsheva at, on social media at Dr. Dr. Batsheva, B-A-T-S-H-E-V-A, Dr. Batsheva. And uh, you, you know, there are resources directly that you that you provide through the Mays Women's Sexual Health Center and other references that that you make. So, I, I appreciate you you distinguishing between those those two areas of kind of shame and guilt and and and, and traumatic experience. I'm going to open up a little bit about my relationship as teenagers. Often, when we first experience both intense sexual urges and also confront the the shame and guilt and you know on on Yom Kippur which in the Jewish tradition is a time when we are atoning for transgressions and we list out there's actually al hate there's a a a, a a a prayer or a, an accounting of of these detailed transgressions that that we're prone to as human beings and and we do that each year as as Jews on Yom Kippur and it was much later in my life, because when I reflect on, on doing that as a teenager, I feel like so much of it had to do with sex. I remember that, you know, a lot of, a lot of guilt uh, and confusion around that topic from, fantasiz- uh, from fantasizing to masturbation to um, just not confusion in, in, in general and, and, and as an adult, I, I realized looking at the lists of transgressions that we go through on that Day of Atonement and Yom Kippur, that there are only a couple that are really clearly about sex. But I, I remember it, it feels like they were all about sex. Um, and this is this show isn't about halacha or going into Jewish law, or religious law, and other other communities. But Ellie, why do we? And maybe maybe this is just unique. Maybe it, it might be that others don't have this experience. But why is so much of our experience of transgression and, and and atonement and dialogue with God as teens seem to be, at least in retrospect, about about sex and sexuality. Is is that is that a kind of mistaken interpretation? Are we teaching our kids wrong? Do we need to intervene as as parents, or is that the way it's supposed to be? Are we supposed to you know have this immediate relationship of of, of of hiddenness of, of, of guilt and, and confusion on this topic. Um, I love this question because I think it actually brings out something very positive <clears throat> about sexuality and Judaism. Where um, really, uh, I think one of the reasons why there's so much emphasis is because of how special it is considered to be. It is, um, you know, at least in, in the Chabad community where I was raised. Um, you know, we were taught very early on um, that sex is basically the embodiment of, uh, it's the physical embodiment of, like, uh, of, of, of like the unification of God's uh, masculine feminine um, manifestations. Um, so I think that, it, you know, and we, we all know that it's a creative force, and um, so I think there is this, like, huge emphasis around the spiritual impact about sexuality, and then there's very little uh, conversation on how to apply that 
to an eight-year-old kid or a 10-year-old kid or a 12-year-old kid and then an adult. You know, there's this huge um, imbalance between uh, this abstract uh, discussion and then the application of how the lived experience. Um, and I think there's uh, another another element, which is cognitive dissonance. So, you know, you're a 12-year-old kid, and you're and you're told that um, you know thinking about women is uh, you know a terrible thing, but then you want to think about women, and then you so you feel you feel these two opposing forces within you, and you're told that one is the good and one is the bad, and there's this binary uh, morality that you are raised with, and and it's really not true, you know, is this this binary? It's a false binary, um, you know, uh, so. I think this cognitive dissonance, together with a lack of applying what what sexuality really means, um, creates just like a mess. <laughs> you know what, what you're describing, what you probably felt as a teenager. Can I just jump in here for a second and say something? Because what you described about realizing those alchets, how few of them actually were to do with sex, I had sort of that epiphany myself, like a year ago, um, and I think. Um, I think, Ellie, everything you're saying is 100% correct. I also think that we need to accept the fact that sex plays a really, really central part to our lives, especially when we're teenagers. Mm-hmm. And um, it is that way. Like, teenagers think about sex a lot. I mean, people in general think about sex a lot, but for sure teenagers are starting to do that, and they're confused. And so I would say, you know, there are some negative or quite a few negative, you know, sources we need to start talking about the positive pieces of it with our kids. Indeed. Like that, in other words, the balance has to happen. So I just I'm throwing that out there. There weren't that many. There weren't that many achets, but there wasn't any. There wasn't you know 13 wonderful things people were telling us in exchange for that. So that's where we have to I think start doing start doing our job. Well, I may have gotten myself in trouble here with talking about Al Hayt and, and without I didn't mention the Tefila Hazaka before preparation preparation for Yom Kippur and so forth. I'm, get, I'm getting slammed with a couple of uh, uh, text uh, comments. I'm going to mention one of those. We also have a caller in the line, but so I'm going to strip out the um, the the Hebrew nomenclature just so it can be more consumable for a generalized audience. But uh, we do have a comment on that 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 I think is directed at me here. You're missing the point with respect to Yom Kippur. The core issue is around wasting your seed. And I'm going to ask you, Batsheva, to explain what that means for listeners that may not be um, aware. So, uh, I, I, in in particularly in Zohar, in, in, in Kabbalah, there's an obs- there's like to me it feels like there's an obsession with this issue. Do you want to uh, elucidate that a little bit for our for our listeners? What is this concept of wasting our seed, and is that at the is that yeah. or at least in Judaism of around the conflict or guilt around around sexuality? Yeah, I mean, well, for males, for males, I think what's fascinating about this, yes, that the bottom line is why do Jewish laws say that men can't masturbate? Fundamentally, it's because you can't spill seed, you can't waste semen, you can't waste, you can't waste those sperm, and um, you know, there's just an irony of that because we wouldn't want all those sperm to be babies either. We have millions and millions of kids running around, um, so um, but. The equal, you know, sort of women, nobody ever thought about women masturbating, so that's not even touched on. And yet, I will tell you, yet I, who was a girl, was feeling just as guilty as the boys. <laughs> so, and I don't know, I've never yet met women who don't feel, who around, grew up religious, don't around have Around masturbation think, in around, particular. Around, yeah, around thinking about sex, all the things that go into thinking about boys, you talk about thinking about Ellie, talk about thinking about girls. Um, but masturbation has been 
really sort of elevated beyond where it is, um, you know, beyond its its sort of punishment value. It's sort of, I always joke around, like, why do we spend so much time talking about evils of masturbation or evils of sexuality and so little time talking about the evils of talking poorly about people, the Lashon Hara, talking badly about people. Um, So we we fixated, and I think that goes back to the, the, the core issue here, really and truly, is that people need to understand that sex is so elemental to who we are. And the rabbis did get that. Mm-hmm. But somehow it then becomes very scary. And so so then it makes the prohibitions so much worse than you would normally think of. And if we, we walk around scared of sex, then that's where you're going to end up. You're going to end up with a spilling seed and boys feeling horribly guilty because, you know, the old joke, you know, 99% of boys masturbate and the other 1% lies about it. Um, so... You know, it is so ubiquitous and so such a terribly guilt, guilt, guilt-ridden guilt issue for so many religious boys. And But sex also is so fraught for the girls. So um, did that answer your question? Did I answer your question? Did I go far afield? Yeah, well, l- let me pause to give our listeners again the number, 718-303-9090, to call in to, with our guests, Dr. Batsheva Marcus and Elie Ben-Hune. We're talking about God and sex, a reconciliation story, d- d- so to speak, um, pulling off the covers and talking about issues that are on all of our minds, uh, uh, but you know often don't get don't get the right airtime and the right healing in in our lives. You can also text a question at nine one seven four two eight four zero six two. So uh, please participate. Let's get let's get to the rabbis and the difference in the boys and the girls. And I'm going to uh, to some extent play devil's advocacy here, Batsheva, but. Uh, you know, it's, it's also imbued with my my belief. It feels that, it, at least in a Jewish tradition, I would actually say the, Ju- Ju- the Judeo Christian tradition, tradition, or even more broadly, the Abrahamic religions, including Islam, the framework around sexuality is completely the male framework. So even the definition of what is allowed sex or forget about allowed or not allowed, just what constitutes sex, for example, in the Abrahamic traditions doesn't include a woman with a woman or a woman masturbating and so forth. And there's this even even in from a cultural perspective, and I'm not erudite enough to say it's a, if it's halachic, if it's related to Jewish law or not, there's an element where it's the the girl's responsibility to not dress in a provocative way. Things that that just are completely from a male perspective. How do, is that, is that, am I right? And do we need to correct that? Is there something wrong with that? How, how do we address that in, in, in contemporary reality? Oh, you are so right. You are so right. Um, and for good and for bad. When Let's go back to that issue of masturbation, right? We have, you know, treaties written on why men can't masturbate, but nobody really took seriously the idea that women would masturbate, and so it's barely talked about, and therefore much less of a Jewish law problem. Um, I really do feel like the conversations focus much more on men and from men's perspective, but the problem almost becomes sort of the flip for the women. Like, the men are all about, we have urges that are not controllable, and the women have to dress modestly to help us control our urges. And if we're not careful, we don't have enough people in the room, it's we're urges and out of control. But women, women, on the other hand, have no urges, sort of the sources suggest, and the, you know, and the, yeah, and and therefore, it's not a problem for women. And you know what? That's a terrible message also. And it's not true. And so women often end up sort of feeling like crazy if they are interested in sex, 
or some, more likely sort of submerging those interests in sex. And, um, you know, again, I would say that gets turned around when conversations are opened up in the room, when there are adults who are willing, able, and, um, and to, to engage, you know, kids in dialogue and talk about pleasure, not just, you know, not wasted feed and not unwanted pregnancies and not, you know, harmed relationships, but rather what sex can be, the pleasure of it, what that means to explore your body. Like, those are all the conversations that will turn around, turn around that narrative. Isn't it interesting how other areas of sensual pleasure in, in our lives, eating and, and drinking and dancing and so forth, generally you know get get a pretty positive reaction in religion even very traditional religion there there are there are of course restrictions and parameters but uh it's uh, but this particular area of of sensual pleasure has so much more uh, kind of negative wrapped up into it i want to talk about that with you ellie because you you walk around using the term that you're sex positive that you believe in a sex positive lifestyle i've also heard you refer to believing in in fluidity uh sexual fluidity can you help our audience understand what what it means in your view to be sex positive and what is sexual fluidity sure i i just want to say i want to applaud you real quick dove on uh, the fact that we're having a conversation, it's not just three men talking about sex and, you know, what that means. And we're actually, uh, you know, in, this is a, it feels like an inclusive conversation. Um, so I applaud you for that because I think very often in religious communities, the conversation ends up around sex ends up being very gendered. Um, also, I really want to include that part of the taboo and what's not talked about in uh, religious communities is about homosexuality and I, I think queer people feel uh, like they, there isn't a conversation about what, what they're going through, and I think that is very much part of the conversation, um, what, what needs to be part of the conversation as well. Um, but as far as uh, my, you know, what I consider to be a sex-positive lifestyle uh, is very, very simple, and, and basically I, I don't, I don't uh, believe that there are any moral imperatives around sexuality other than uh, being honest and kind. Um, and uh, and consent, um, which means that I don't place any kind of moral judgment around what a relationship should look like. Um, and, and that goes on both sides of the spectrum. So if for one person, uh, for two people, that means being monogamous, um, then I respect that and believe that that is the best lifestyle for them, um, and I don't see that as some kind of uh, primitive uh, uh, arrangement. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, if somebody is uh, polyamorous, um, and then uh, you know that is that is beautiful for them, and hopefully they're you know they're happy and fulfilled. Um, in either one of these cases, if if somebody is you know if a couple is, is, is polyamorous or if they're monogamous, a tremendous amount of rigorous you know counseling and 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 and, and needs to go into making the relationship uh, healthy. Um, so I think there's a, there's this misconception that. You know, in you know, in polyamorous communities, they'll talk about how monogamous relationships don't work, and the monogamous people, communities, they'll talk about how polyamorous relationships don't work. And I think the idea is that relationships just require work. Right. <laughs> Neither are are guaranteed in either direction. 
Bacheva, what do you do when you have a client who's coming from a traditional background, is not leaving that community, that wants to honor the rituals and mores and rules, and yet is struggling with the choice to be monogamous? How, how do you handle that as a therapist? Um, I love that question, Dove, and I just want you to know that um, I feel really, really strongly about this, and that is that I, I help them figure out what their priorities are. Very much like what Ellie said, I never judge um, how somebody should live. I try to work with them to figure out how they want to live. And I, you know, I always think back to this case of this amazing Hasidish woman who came in who had been struggling to make her relationship with her husband work for years sexually and was having a sort of tempestuous, amazing physical relationship with another woman. And, you know, I was exploring with her, do you, do you want to leave? And, and she said, I'd lose my children if I left. And I actually mm-hmm. love my husband. He's a really good man. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the end, she made the decision she wanted to stay in the relationship and with her husband. And then how she stays in that relationship has to be feel as good to her as possible. We don't get everything. We don't get everything in this life but in most cases. Um, sometimes we have to make choices about a lot of things. Sure. And so people make choices. And I need to, exactly like Ellie said, I need to sort of respect people's choice and let them live as holy and as, as um, you know, as real and as authentic a life as they can, given their the choices of the reality. For some people, their religious life is just as important as their sexual life. And for some people, the sexual life is more important. So people have to kind of find their, their spot in the gray. And that's what the show is about, is reconciling. And, and, and you know, God willing, people can find that, that balance. That's been a lifelong journey for me. And the reason I wanted to do this series on... God and sex, a reconciliation story, because finding that our place of balance and harmony is uh, it's a lot of, I think, what, what our life journey is about. We'll be right back on equal footing with our guests, Dr. Batsheva Marcus and Ellie Ben-Hyun, talking about sex and religion. And we'll take a couple of text questions, and we'll take the caller on line two, who's been very patient. We'll be right back. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Back on equal footing with my guests, Dr. Bacheva Marcus and Ellie Ben-Hyun, talking about God and sex, a reconciliation story, pulling off the covers in this first episode in this multi-part series, talking about some of the issues that we don't often address. And I want to apologize. This will probably be edited out in the recorded version. <laughs> but the song that we just had is the... Uh, 
as the outro there was the explicit version of the song. And, and uh, I'm terribly sorry for those listeners. I should have actually said at the at the outset of the show that there this is not a gratuitous show. Everyone who's listened to this understands that there's no shock value. That that's not what we're after here. We're after learning and going deeper and evolving in uh, through debate. But uh, you know we don't shy away from difficult subjects, and so there are there are words that we use and, and and topics that we cover that may not always be comfortable for everyone. So having said that, I want to uh, appreciate your patience on line two. Good evening. Good evening. Hi, Stan. How are you, sir? Good. Always a nice pleasure. to hear your voice. I always if I don't talk, have a good Thanksgiving next week. Anyway. Me too. Uh, I want to speak and make a comment to the psychologist. What's her name? I'm sorry. I apologize. I forgot her name. Dr. Marcus. Dr. Marcus. Dr. Marcus, uh, if anybody should know the hypocrisy and the contradiction of orthodox women in sexuality, you should know that. Because the harsh reality of the orthodox women in sexuality is there is no equality. Sexuality, to some extent in the modern world, has some sense of equality. This doesn't exist in the Orthodox world. The woman is subservient, and her general purpose is to proliferate children. And where is, you said the the title was uh, transformation or reconciliation. There is no reconciliation for the Orthodox woman. There is trauma. There's no doubt in my mind. Any young woman in the Orthodox who has to... Uh, conceive children at 17, 18, 3, 4, 5, which is some parts the norm, is trauma. And I do not believe that the Orthodox woman is in any way healthy in the sexuality of their lives. And uh, obviously you must, I mean, my point to you is, don't you see the contradiction and the hypocrisy, and do you run into this type of situation? Because I, it's obvious that I see 18, 19, 20, with four or five children. That is not enjoyable, I would think in terms of sexual, that's uh, something based on the Bible, and uh, since the man is the dominant figure in the Orthodox, she has to do. So where is the so-called enjoyment here? How do you see this? Thanks for your question, Stan. My pleasure. Do you want me to respond? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Okay. Good luck. <laughs> so I, I appreciate your response, and as a feminist, I not only appreciate your response, but I appreciate your concern and your attitude. I will say that we need to distinguish a bit between Judaism de jure and de facto, right? Like, right. what does Judaism intend to have happen, and what has occurred? And actually, the sources are really not, in terms of consent, there are quite a few sources about men not forcing women speaking to them and sort of wooing women, not forcing them, that if a man, you know, pushes a woman to have sex, they will have children that have, you know, abnormalities. Um, so the sources actually suggest a much more consent-sensitive um, a reality, although obviously not one that our modern-day sensibilities would necessarily, you know, um, embrace. Having said that, the reality is that it is a very, the more, the more, right-wing or more sort of fundamentalist, you go into the community, and any community, any faith community, not just Judaism, the more um, the more androcentric it is, the more central it is men-centered to it. Um, I will tell you that um, uh, there are a lot of women in the Orthodox community, even in the ultra-Orthodox community, who have very happy, satisfying sex lives. I will just tell you that. Like, it's not, it's not monolithic. Um, but again, 
what we're talking about is changing the reality by the reality, not the halachic or not the Jewish philosophical piece of this as much as the reality of women's existence. And that changes with education, I believe. It all starts with conversations and education. And because if women don't understand how it is, what sex should look like, how it can be pleasurable, then they're never going to experience it. But if they are taught that, and it is doable, and I have worked with many Haredi, you know, ultra-Orthodox women, as well as very religious women from other faiths, um, it can turn the world around. Yeah, and, to, and I appreciate the question, Stan, the directness. And to be clear, what we're not doing on this show is trying to reconcile any particular religious law in Judaism, halacha, or other uh, religious dictates, the de jure part that, that you referred to, uh, Batsheva, with actions. What we're talking about here is reconciling lifestyle, uh, a you know, spiritual life and sexual life, and getting into some of the issues that sometimes generate confusion and complexity. I'd like to read a text question in this regard, and uh, and and. Ellie, you've done a great job in your adult life. I applaud you. You applauded me before. I'm going to applaud you for your willingness to be vulnerable and to um, discuss this issue in settings which I'm sure were not uh, innate or comfortable to you. And so uh, this this question, I think, um, is an interesting one in, in that regard because we're not just talking about about sex here. We're talking about also emotion. Uh, I think this, I, I'm going to, I don't want to butcher the name. I, I think this is a woman for whatever it's worth writing this, but um, the, it's from uh, Moitri. And the question is, is the avoidance of talking about sex really about a deeper issue, which is avoiding emotions? I feel this is a deep-rooted issue in most major religions, the inability to talk about emotion. Ellie, you are a you're courageous when it talks to being open about your emotions, and I've often felt in reading your uh, writings and reflections on this subject that it isn't a, you know for you at, at essence about the physical act. Do you think that's why in on a religious path we sometimes avoid sex talking about sex? Is it is it is it avoidance of really delving into emotions? Um, I love this question, uh, and you know what it made me just think of is that <clears throat> our parents, you know, the people who we are uh, saying ha- didn't educate us, our teachers, you know, no one taught them either. No, they didn't have a better education than we did when it came to sex. So they are also processing an entire lifetime of not talking about it. Right. Um, and they didn't go through, uh, you know, a digital revolution where they could just access uh, pornography or, or talk to their friends or, or go on dating apps. Um, they went through a, a, a much more inhibited uh, experience sexually than, than, you know, people from my generation have. So um, I, I, I think what this, que- this, uh, this question is actually raising a really good issue, which is, you know, this is a multi-generational, and I'm, <laughs> I won't say trauma uh, so that we're not just throwing around that word loosely, uh, as uh, Batsheva has pointed out. But I'll say it's a multi-generational challenge and struggle. Uh, and, um, yeah, I, I think it does relate to, uh, you know, blocking out certain uh, emotions. Yeah, absolutely. Batsheva, in one of our discussions leading up to the show, you were you were expressed some aversion to 
having intimacy be in, in the title so we didn't kind of confuse and conflate issues. This question brings up that, that conflation. Are we really talking about our hang-ups or our guilt or our shame or looking for confirmation and chastity and masturbation, all these issues? Are, are these, in a sense, covers for us to um, – for issues that are hard to address in our emotional maturation or do you, do you really see these things as, as, as separate tracks? I think they're separate tracks. Um, I think they're related, as Ellie said. I think they're definitely related. Um, I think the same communities that have a very difficult time talking about sex also often have a very difficult time expressing emotions. But but those are different things. And um, you can see relationships where people have really deep emotional bonds and terrible sex lives. And honestly, you can see people with great sex lives who have terrible times discussing their emotional lives. So... Um, I think the conversation we had earlier was my sort of, I, I, I uh, expressed a certain amount of disdain for um, for people who say we're going to talk about intimacy, um, we're going to have a discussion about intimacy, because all that's doing is continuing that cycle of shame around the word sex. Right. When they mean sex, they should be saying sex, because intimacy can mean many, many things, and sex means sex. So, um, um I, I totally appreciate that listener question, and I think it's a great question because those things often go hand in hand, but I do believe they're separate issues, and um, we do ourselves a disservice when we conflate those two issues. I hear you. We're going to take one more break, and we're going to take another caller. You'll be back in a moment on Equal Footing. We're talking about God and sex, a reconciliation story. Je pense à toi, Tonight's program of Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is brought to you by Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital offers financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere in the world. Unlock the cash value of your watch collection or inventory with Mechanical Art Capital's guaranteed buyback contracts. For more information, call Mechanical Art Cop Capital at 833-532-7040. That's 833-532-7040. Operators are standing by. Funds are wired out quickly and discreetly in two business days or less, and your timepieces are stored in a secure location in Manhattan, New York. You can have your watches back as soon as you are ready. Safe and simple. Contact Mechanical Art Capital at 833-532-7040. All right. You're back on Equal Footing. We're talking about God and sex, reconciling our spiritual and our sexual lives. I'm joined by Dr. Batsheva Marcus and Ellie bin Yuhun. And I'm going to take a question. Let's see. Should we take a caller or a test? Let's, let's take the caller on line three. He's been patient. Good evening. You're on equal footing. Yes. Uh, my name is James. I'm in Brooklyn. Uh, my viewpoint is, is that such things as fun and friendship, I, I would think, uh, would be spoiled uh, because of a culpable lifestyle. We have such a grossly unequal society these days. If you're a striver, you're striving for gross inequality in our economy and so I would think that having a culpable lifestyle would sort of uh, spoil the chance uh, of real friendship, fun, and then everything that should follow, such as um, a, sex re- a sexual relation that would possibly be ideal. 
I wonder if that that would be uh, part of uh, your thoughts that the shame, shame, and hang-ups come of a couple lifestyle, and and I would imagine would make for uh, would throw obstacles into the way of having a a good sexual relationship. James, I appreciate your question. Ellie, what do you think about a culpable lifestyle? And I guess part of that question, I think, was about friendship coming before sexual intimacy. Um, I, I will say that uh, I've had many experiences where I've had to choose between uh, do I want this relationship to be platonic or sexual? And, um, and most of the times I've chosen... Uh, platonic if I thought I'd lose the friendship if I went in the direction uh, of it being sexual. Um, or if it was sexual and it was time for it to kind of end and and, and I, I would end it so that it can I can hold on to the friendship and, and transition into a platonic uh, relationship, I did that as well. Um, and uh, I think that's, that's very important, not to sacrifice human relationships and, and friendships just to get laid. Batsheva, we're gonna we're closing up on coming up on time, and I'd love to get your closing thoughts on this topic of reconciliation between our uh, religious and our and our sexual lives from a broader time lens. Because I think we end. I've heard you refer to this actually as well. We this topic tends to get dominated by early sexual life, kind of the 18 to 25-year-old segment. But our sexual life evolves and changes constantly um, until until the end. H- how do? You, what are your kind of closing um, words of wisdom for our audience around how to go about that path of uh, healing if there's been trauma or just reconciliation between religious life and, and sexual life as, as we get older? Um, I'm so happy for you to end on this note because I feel like, um, you know, we have we walk into sex whenever, however, we, whenever we start having it with such misconceptions about, you know, you start having sex and that'll be the way it is for the rest of your life and nothing could be further from the truth. Your sex life needs time and attention just the same way every other part of your life is and the same way, you know, things in your, you, you wouldn't use the same wardrobe for your whole life or eat the same foods that you like tastes have changed like you need to pay attention to your sex life but everybody everybody i believe in my heart of hearts is capable and able to have a great sex life would be, be, be that with themselves or with one partner or more partners whatever they're choosing and but that it does take work it's like anything else it takes work and effort and thinking about it and reading about it and possibly seeing a professional if that means necessary um but Sexuality is such a core element of who we are, and it makes life worth living. And um, keeping an eye on it and, and keeping it strong in a relationship, or not, even if you're not, that, that is, you know, by nature, I'm a very optimistic person, and I really I want to leave your listeners with the idea that your sex life is in your control. It Amen. just needs your time, attention, and love. Amen. Well, I hope you've given some attention to it tonight. And Ellie, I want to give you the last word here because in, in appearing on Sex in the Pews and other media outlets, I feel like you're, you, you've been, it's kind of, there's been a stylization of your journey. Give us a few seconds of words of wisdom of others who are embarking on a journey of, of sexual discovery. For sure. I mean, I would start, number one, uh, like uh, Batsheva said, with, with giving it attention, go to therapy, talk to your friends, like really just start by talking to your friends, open up a conversation, um, 
be kind to yourself. You know, we beat ourselves up so much about this. And, like, just be kind to yourself.